You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Okay, everybody, open up your Bible to Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. I'm joined today by Pastor Ross. Ross, this is a passage in Scripture. We're only covering a handful of verses, finally, so this gives us a little bit of a chance to dig in. It seems like the last couple of weeks we've been covering a lot of ground in the Gospel of Mark, but today we want to hone in on the statement that Jesus makes about um, children and receiving the kingdom like a children. In fact, I want to just start by reading the whole text for today, mm-hmm. and then let's set this up a little bit, and, and then we're going to do a deep dive on what it, what it means to receive Jesus like a child. So let's start with the text. Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. We're going to read from the ESV today. It says, They were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to his disciples, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Ross, maybe we should start by acknowledging that a couple of weeks ago, it seems like we already covered a story very, very similar to this. Yeah, where Jesus uh, used a child um, to emphasize who was going to be great in the kingdom of God. So, and this interesting background here is that uh, people would bring their children to a to like a notif- notable leader to be blessed by them. And you remember where when Jesus was an infant, his parents brought him to the temple, and he was blessed by the prophet Simeon. So that's a similar characteristic. So, so this is what's going on here. People want Jesus, who's recognizing him as a rabbi and as a leader, to, to give a blessing to their kids. And in that context, he's talking about a bigger issue, a more important issue. Well, I think it's also important for our listeners to understand that Jesus isn't talking about teens or preteens here. In fact, the, the, the parallel passage in Luke talks about little children and so, at the very least, Ross, these are toddlers, but, but maybe even just infants that are being brought to Jesus. And that's important. It's going to come up a little bit later today, but I, we want to make sure that our listeners understand that this is, this is talking about the most insignificant child that you can even think about. In fact, probably it's worth going back and explaining how ancient cultures viewed kids because it's very different than how we view kids. Yeah, it's a, that's an interesting point. Now, it does say that Jesus took the children into his arms, and so they had to be small, you know, for him to... You, know, you don't pick up a 10-year-old into your arms, right? So they have to be small toddlers or infants. And, and children in that culture, we in our culture today, children, we make a big more of a big deal about children. We give them formal education. You know, they, a lot of the world revolves around our kids, um, and all their activities, and we're running them to, to sports camps and different things like that. But back in this culture, um, the children, until they could contribute financially to the household, you know, they were they were just sort of like, you know, uh, they were kind of kind of like a parasite on the family mm. in a way. Mm. And seen, you know, they're, so they're seen as having. I'm sure moms love their kids, right? Um, but typically in their their role in society was uh, they're awaiting 
till their their pick can become productive. Yeah, and Jesus, it's interesting again. Th- these parents are bringing their infants, their little children, to be touched by Jesus, and the disciples get angry. Now we're going to unpack all this, but but I, I want to point out Ross this word that the ESV uses. And the word is indignant. This is where Jesus is said to be indignant. And the Pillar New Testament commentary points out that verse 14 is the only passage in all four Gospels where this word, the Greek word is agonke. You're going to have to say that one for me. But the Greek word is, is the word that we have translated indignant. And it's more than just mad. It's more than just um, expressing displeasure. It is... It is, it is uh, like it's a whole different level of anger that Jesus has toward mm-hmm. this. I think it's important for modern listeners to recognize that because so many people think of Jesus, you know, they have this picture of Jesus as a hater or as a judgmental uh, ruler, but Jesus was always sort of sticking up for women who were second-class citizens. He was sticking mm-hmm. up for little children here, and it made him really angry with his disciples that they were not letting the children in to come see Jesus. Right. And so, uh, really, um, it's an interesting thing, because to find out what a person gets indignant about, what does a person get angry about? We think of Jesus' anger, we think of it at you know when he's cleansing the temple, courts of the money changers and stuff like that. But this is another interesting piece where where he's he's really indignant or he becomes ticked off, you might say, for um, excluding people who, who didn't have any power to uh, let themselves in. And so to me, the interesting point is like, what do I get indignant about? You know, what what do I... You know what raises that that sense of anger within me arouses anger in me, and usually it's stuff that's all about me. Um, but Jesus is aroused to anger for children, for people who are, as we'll talk about later, who are powerless um, in society. Okay, so and here's the big idea for today. You know, Jesus is getting indignant with his disciples, or trying to keep the little children away from him, and the irony, the great irony in this passage, is that children. And those who share their qualities are actually the only ones who will make it into the kingdom of God. This is Jesus' whole point. He's getting angry at his disciples for missing this whole point. And that is what he says there, that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so, Ross, the question we're going to be asking today is, what does Jesus mean? What does it mean to be like a child? What are the qualities of a child that Jesus is talking about here. And we're going to give three main qualities over the course of this episode. We're going to, and I, I encourage our listeners to think about this in, in the context of your own attitude toward God, your own relationship with God, mm-hmm. your own spiritual journey. But before we get into those three answers, what we believe Jesus is talking about, it's probably helpful, Ross, for us to talk about what Jesus is not saying. <laughs> when Jesus says, that you have to be like a child. First of all, he's not saying that you have to be innocent because children aren't innocent. Right. I mean, seriously. So this is this is a great um, way to think about the passage, to think what does it not mean to be like a child? The children are born in sin, just like all of us human beings. It's endemic to, our, to us. 
um, because of our relationship with God as a whole that we, we have, we're, we're going to be sinful. And so, I mean, it doesn't take very long to see children. You don't have to teach a child to say no. Mm. You know, you have to teach them. You don't have to teach them. You have to teach them to share. You have to teach them to, like, not hit their neighbor, their, their other kid. But you don't have to teach them to do those, um, those less than innocent actions um, in their lives. Well, what would you say to the parent who says, oh, no, but I, you don't know my, my kid. My, I've got three kids, and that's true for two of these kids, but not for my favorite. Like this little Johnny was just, was just amazing from birth. Like he shared as a toddler. He's such a good, giving kid. He always hugged me. He always wanted to cuddle with me. What would you say to that parent? I'd say, well, you're going to find out. <laughs> you're going to find out. Maybe, maybe I have a, so I have two kids, right? And my kids express their sinful nature differently. And one of them was more um, unvarnished, out mm. it came. The other one was more devious. Mm. And, uh, it, you know, it didn't come out, but it came out in other situations to where it was like, okay, you could tell that that child is kind of working it. Um, so just wait. We learned that with our two kids as well. I mean, our kids are good kids, don't get me wrong, but our oldest is, is our daughter, Kenzie, and she, only later in life did she tell us, did she reveal to us how she, like, manipulated her little brother and, and you know, got got him to give her the best candy or whatever. And and so we always used to think, oh, she's so sweet because she was the quieter one and, and AJ was the more bombastic one. But no, they were both, I like how you said it, what'd you say, Ross, that, that, Everyone has their own way of showing their sinful yeah, nature. Yeah. Okay, so number yeah. one, it's not talking about innocence because children really truly aren't innocent. We all have original sin. But the other thing I think, Ross, the other mistake people might make when they think of coming to God like a child is, is Jesus talking about ignorance there? Is he saying that you, you have to come to him and not want to ask any questions? You kind of have to check your brains at the door to be a Christian. Yeah, no, see that not at all because um, you know even children they don't know everything they don't know much they're really willing it seems like to accept what they're told which is a problem can be a real problem with children being exploited and so forth but so it's not about ignorance and by the way children just do ask a lot of questions mm. right sometimes annoyingly so right why why is that so no but it's not saying the Bible never says that we should. Um, we should diminish our intellect, our thinking process. In fact, it says to test all things and think about it before you decide what's true. So, so that's not what it means to be like a child. Okay, so Jesus isn't talking about innocence. He's not talking about ignorance. So what is he talking about? We have three things for today. Number one, to, to receive the kingdom like a child, to come to God like a child means to be unpretentious. Right? So children don't pretend. Children are not giving, given to putting on errors. And so, Ross, God is looking for people who come as they are, not those who are trying to, you know, so to speak, pad their resumes. How do we see that? How do we see the opposite of that, even with the disciples here who are trying to keep the kids from coming? Yeah, this is, I think, an interesting point in the passage that that uh, helps us understand what's going on here is that there's a implied contrast between the disciples and their activity and the children. So the disciples are the ones who are, like they're pretending to be something they aren't, 
because they're saying, oh, you can't come in. Oh, stop. You know, who, who made them? Who appointed them to be the gatekeepers? You know, so they're going like, oh, we're they're they're wearing this this sense of, of importance. Um, no, I don't know their motives. They uh, maybe they wanted to spare Jesus from some hassles or whatever, or maybe they just wanted people to think they were important. Like, oh no, I you know I'm the gatekeeper for Jesus. Um, so they were kind of parading in in a sense, and so children uh, don't do that. What you see is what you get. Now, there's a certain age when kids can start learning how to do that. Mm. But the younger kids, it's just pretty much unvarnished. And there's a certain um, modesty about childhood. There's a certain sense that they're not trying to be something that they're not. And so, you know, that's what Jesus would probably call that humility. Yeah, this is what he says in Matthew 18. He says, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, and again, probably a small, small child. We're not talking about, you know, an eight or nine-year-old who who has learned pretense, who has learned trying to fit in, who is starting to act out on their insecurity. No, we're talking about like a two-year-old who can't control their emotions, can't control their bodily functions, and it creates for fun some funny situations when they're mixed in with adults, right? And we all think it's so cute, but it's also very unpretentious. It's very, it's just, it's very humble and even humbling someone who is, who is not trying to be arrogant, who's not trying to pretend to be someone that they're not. They can't, they just, they can't even do that. Yeah. So this kid, you know, the small children, they're not expressing ambition or pride or arrogance or hypocrisy and and so really this is like it's just what you see is what you get and um and that's kind of like how we we come to the kingdom of god is say let's stop trying to be something that we're not let's stop trying to think that we could impress god with something you know god does, god knows who we really are and so jesus um uh, there's another passage in in matthew 11 where jesus draw this out in verse 25 he says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So there's a contrast that he makes between two groups. There's these people who think they're wise and understanding. They're the ones who the society looks to as being, you know, the, the, know, know, the know-it-alls, the gurus, whatever, and versus the other side is little children. Well, what's the difference? Well, the wise, knowledgeable people have confidence in themselves. They have this sense of like, oh, I care what people think about me. Um, so the idea of what we're calling here is is pretension. Yeah, that Matthew 11 verse where Jesus is talking about, he, he's praying to the Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to children, reminds me of the passage where Jesus is talking about the hypocrite who's praying, who, sa- who starts his prayer the same way. I thank you, Lord, that you didn't make me like that guy over there. Right. Talk about pretense. Talk about missing the whole point. And Jesus is sa- Jesus's prayer is so different. He's he's thanking the Father that that the humble ones, the unpretentious ones, are the ones that are going to receive it. Are the ones that are going to enter into the kingdom. So again, here's this contrast between these two groups: the wise and understanding versus the little children. It's not about intelligence. It's about heart attitude. It's about not faking it. And, uh, and that's so different from, I think, probably a lot of the religious people in churches around the world. You know, there's so many religious people who probably need to hear this, 
and humble themselves even as they, they read these few verses. So number one, to receive, to receive the kingdom of God like a child means that you're unpretentious. Number two, and this to me is the first thing that really jumps out at me when I listen to the story, is to receive the kingdom understanding that you're powerless. Because little children are powerless. They are completely dependent on the grown-ups around them. And God is looking for people who admit their weakness, people who admit their desperate need for help. Right. So again, here's where this this contrast between the disciples and the little children that they're restricting comes into play, because uh, the, the disciples, they start rebuking these parents who are bringing their kids for a blessing, and that's a strong word um, in the Bible. The way that word is used in the Bible, it's evil spirits get rebuked, and and so people who are just really doing something wrong. Um, and so it looks like the disciples are enjoying their little bit of power. They had some power over, you know, they had power to be the gatekeepers uh, of Jesus. And so that's an interesting juxtaposition because these little toddlers um, are completely powerless. And children are powerless compared to, I mean, children, they can't, there's so much they can't do mentally, physically, just their, their size, their strength, uh, and their reasoning capacity hasn't developed yet. And so there's lots and lots of ways that children are powerless uh, compared to adults. And that's, that's Jesus is, I think, saying that, you know, come to me um, on the basis of your depend, complete, complete, complete dependence on me, not on any strength or any ability that you have in yourself. Yeah, and I, I like how you point out this contrast, you know, so the disciples are pretending to be the gatekeeper, but, and yet, but yet children are unpretentious. And the disciples are pretending to have all the power. They're enjoying their little bit of power here by rebuking these parents for having the gall to bring their children. And Jesus is, Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. You, my followers are powerless. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1, I love this, how Paul explains this, verses 26 to 28. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even things that are not, to bring nothing, to bring to nothing things that are. Paul used that same language in Romans when he was talking about you know, Abraham being, his body being almost as good as dead, that he couldn't have kids. He's, you know, 100 years old, and he ends up having a child to show that this is just the pattern that God uses. God loves to show his power through powerless people. And, but the disciples were completely missing the point. The, the disciples were thinking about children, like the Pharisees were thinking about them. Remember that the Pharisees mm -hmm. kept saying, you know, Jesus is hanging out with these fishermen and tax collectors and sinners and these lowlifes. And Jesus kept saying, I mean, think about this, Ross. Jesus kept saying to the Pharisees, you're missing the point, you're missing the point, you're missing the point. And now he sees his own disciples missing the point because mm -hmm. they're turning away the people who were below them on the social ladder, right? And this is kind of what Jesus, this is why Jesus is so indignant. Yeah. yeah, that's a great observation. It shows how easy it is for us, for any of us, to you know forget our powerlessness and find somebody who's less powerful than we are 
to compare ourselves to. Um, really, the, the thing is, though, so what it seems like what Jesus is like kind of driving at here is, is these, these children, um, he doesn't, he doesn't um, say, oh, yeah, you got to let them in because they have some virtue. You got to let them in because they have, you know, some meaning, some, something they can offer. We'll talk about that later, but but they 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 don't have any sophistication. They're small. They're powerless. They're overlooked, um, and so that's kind of how we have to come to that point in our uh, acknowledgement of ourselves when before we can enter the kingdom of God. We have to come and say, you know, I don't have anything. Um, I don't have anything going for me. I am. I just totally dependent on you, Jesus. And and interestingly, here Jesus becomes the advocate for these children, in the same way that he becomes the advocate for us in in salvation and in our entry to the kingdom, because Jesus is the one who speaks on our behalf. He 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 doesn't say he doesn't say, oh no, he you know that guy made it. He's he, I want him because he has something to offer. He says, no, I paid for his sins. I paid for that person on the cross. So Jesus is advocating for us to enter the kingdom of God, just the way he's advocating for these children to come into his presence as well. I love what the pillar commentary says on this. It says, we are not innocent and eager, but slow, disbelieving, and cowardly. In this story, children are not blessed for their virtues, but for what they lack. They come only as they are, small, powerless, without sophistication, as the overlooked and dispossessed of society. To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, no claims. A little child has absolutely nothing to bring, and whatever it receives, it receives by grace on the basis of sheer neediness rather than by any merit inherent in itself. What it, what a, I love how it says there's no credits, no clout, no mm-hmm. claims. And certainly the disciples, the fishermen, when they were leaving their nets at their boats, understood that, you know, I don't know, a year, two years earlier. But man, how, easy, how easily we can forget that. You know, we, mm-hmm. we start off understanding those things, recognizing that we are powerless, recognizing that we are in desperate need. But I don't know, Ross, maybe for some listeners, the longer the longer they serve in church or the longer they attend church or maybe the more positions of authority they get at church, I don't know that maybe you can kind of forget it. It kind of like the disciples, mm-hmm. you sort of you sort of think about the kingdom of God as an insider and outsider thing. And maybe you even start to have an attitude toward people that you think aren't worthy of of mm-hmm. you know coming in and, and being in the presence of Jesus. Yeah, that's a great point because I think what that lends itself to is we can put ourselves in the position of the gatekeepers, just like the disciples were. And so we're going like, oh, I get to be the gatekeeper, and that person, I don't think they belong in our church. Or that person, uh, no, we're not reaching out to those kind of people. Um, Where Jesus says, no, everybody's welcome. Everybody needs to come. And it's partly because, yeah, I think we get in a in insider society and and we get some you know praise, some recognition, some positive things that are going on, and we do we do forget how we entered, um, you know, on so completely in dependence on Jesus. Okay, I think we have time for just a quick little side note on this, Ross. Just a little historical comment on this. So. Verse 15 has played a significant role 
in the discussion of infant baptism. Now, I would I would guess that probably most of our listeners go to a church where we where we bless children, we don't baptize children. Um, but some maybe some of our listeners go to a church in some traditions they baptize infants. Uh, we're not going to get into this huge debate on this right now, but I think it's interesting that 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 some theologians that believe in infant baptism would use this passage to sort of justify that practice. Yeah, so for example, John Calvin, who is one of the Protestant reformers, and and every everybody in our circles, we have a lot of respect for Calvin. He, he was really strong in his um, opposition to Roman Catholicism and his development of grace and so forth. But Calvin um, argued for infant baptism, and he used the, these verses for that, so that in the same way, he says, if a child, why would we um, oppose having a child come to Jesus um, if these children were brought to Jesus to receive the kingdom, then why should they be denied baptism? Um, and so that is so in, in a lot of churches, maybe that are more Presbyterian or uh, Reformed um, churches that preach the gospel, they still have this idea of infant baptism for reasons like this. And so this verse, um, these verses have become part of that, um, that tradition. But how would we, you know, again, in our church, we, we do not baptize infants, but we do bless them. We, we invite parents to, we encourage parents to bring their, their small children and, and in, our, in our services. I love, it's one of my favorite things to do in a service is to pray over kids and to bless kids. So how would we then interpret this passage? Right. Well, I think we would understand baptism in light of some other passages where, where we see in the New Testament that people are baptized after they make a profession of faith in Jesus. So the baptism is an outward, uh, an, an outward symbol of an internal reality, and children have not experienced that reality. They haven't put their trust in Jesus yet. And so the idea is that we would bless them and we'd pray for them and train them until the time that they do, and then we would baptize them on the basis of their profession of faith. What would you say, Ross, just to keep going a little bit on this side note, what would you say to listeners like my dad years ago? He was baptized in the Catholic Church as an infant, um, but then later in life came to faith in Christ, made a personal response of faith in Christ. What would you say to people like that, should they get baptized again? Well, I would say it depends on the nature of the, the baptism. So there's infant baptism, and then there's infant baptism. There's two different kinds. Mm-hmm. So the Catholic kind, uh, a practice of infant baptism, says that this has some saving efficacy for you. And so this is what like washes away your sins and so forth. And that's just not biblical. Now, the Reformed or the Calvinistic view of infant baptism says that you're baptized into the faith community. And they use the analogy of circumcision in the Old Testament. You were circumcised into the Jewish community, but you still then, your baptism foreshadows the fact or the, or the probability or the hope that you will come to faith yourself, and then you own the baptism at that point. And so, uh, so that baptism doesn't have a saving power in anybody's life, but it's a token of, of, a, of the fact that you're included in this faith community in order to grow into that faith yourself. And so for me, um, I'd say, look, if you, if you were baptized as a child and that was the understanding, then, then yeah, you can be baptized as an adult, 
But if you want to just own that and say the meaning of that was was, um, anticipating your moment of faith, you could own that baptism, and I I would accept that myself. Okay, well, that's the end of the detour. Let's get back on our path. By the way, if our listeners want to learn more about baptism, you can find a ton more on it at PursueGod.org forward slash baptism. We talk about these kinds of things and more there. But let's get back to the text because there's one more thing, Ross. We've talked about receiving a child means that you're unpretentious. You're not trying to pretend to be some somebody that you're not. You're not trying to pad your resume. Number two, it means that you're powerless, that, that you're weak, you're dependent, And that really kind of leads to this last thing, but it's a word that Jesus actually uses in the text. And I want to finish by talking about the fact that children are receivers, not contributors. So God God is looking for people who delight in him and trust that what he gives is good, rather than coming feeling like you can bring something to the table, feeling like you can contribute something, because at the end of the day, a, a small child, an infant, can't contribute anything. They're they just they're takers. They're not givers, just by their very nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this comes from the idea that there's something specific that Jesus said in, in these verses. He's he talks about how to receive the kingdom of God. He talks about receiving it like a child. And so there's a lot of things we could we could talk about. What is a then what's the nature of coming like a child? And a lot of people have said, well it means it means coming in faith. Or and certainly that's part of it. Um, but there's no verse in the Bible that talks about childlike faith. Um, and so really the verse the thing that Jesus himself says is this issue of receiving. Uh, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter in it, into it. So we, we need to focus on that and, and ask, well, how does a person receive the kingdom like a child? Um, well, the, the idea then, Jesus is saying, this is about receiving something. It's not about earning something. And so I think that's what we want to explore in this final, uh, this final point. Yeah, I love how the author of Hebrews says it in chapter 12. He says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. So this idea of receiving, some of our listeners might really need to hear this. Probably, Ross, our listeners who who are in churches that are more sort of based on works righteousness, mm-hmm. churches that teach. And, and so th- this could be a cult, or it could even just be a Christian church where they've kind of gotten a little bit sidetracked on this. It's easy, I think, for even Mm -hmm. well-intentioned leaders to get into this mindset where you feel like God owes you something rather than he's giving you a gift. You can't work for a gift. It wouldn't be a gift anymore if you worked for it. And and so there's this this story that I, I love how you tell this story, Ross. In the Mormon tradition, Mormonism is one of those uh, religions that really, really, they believe that you're earning your salvation in part. Now they say that Jesus does some of the work, but I, the language I think that they use is that you're saved by grace after all we can do. Is that the yeah. phrase that they use? In that's, Mormonism? It, that's from the book. That's from the Book of Mormon, and so that does make sense. I spend a lot of time talking to religious people, and in our context, a lot often that's people who are from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. And there's a sense in which they're building a resume. They're they're building a you know this is this is a sort of worthiness project in life. 
Um, and so they, they receive on one level, but sometimes the, the, the theology that they're talking about is that you receive conditionally. You receive a blessing based on keeping a commandment. And so, yeah, it, it, that's really an important question. Now, the, the bicycle story that's shared in, in a book that was prominent a few years ago by a professor at BYU, he says, okay, when I, when I bought my child a bicycle, he says, I, he says the child was seven or something, whenever kids start riding a bike, um, he said, I told my child that she would have to save all her money and and work you know work at putting some money aside and then when she was able to you know have something to offer then he would buy her the bike now you know he said i didn't expect much i didn't expect more than a few cents you know or 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 coins that she collected or whatever and when she had a handful of coins we went down to the to the bike shop and bought a bike so that sounds really gracious on the sense that cuz he paid for 99% of the bike mm. but you know, I as I've thought about that story, I thought, you know what? I never gave my child a birthday present or a Christmas present that I said, you know, you gotta you gotta pony up, you know, or you gotta contribute, you you gotta buy the wrapping paper or whatever, or you gotta, you know, you're gonna have to do this before I get you that. No, there was a certain thing about a gift that um and, and just receiving a gift that makes it, you know, perfectly non-conditional. And so I think that's what religious people need to hear is that they're they're trying to add their and really they're trying to add their nickels and dimes. But Jesus says the Bible says that what we try to add isn't even nickels and dimes. It's nothing. It's, you know, we're we're adding like spit and and boogers and <laughs> and stuff that doesn't count, you know, that's mm. negative. Mm. And so really really that's a good story to illustrate um, what the nature of receiving the gift really is. It's not something that we, that we add anything to. Yeah, Ephesians 2 explains it so well. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's, that's the language that Scripture uses. Dead people, how much can dead people contribute? How much work can a dead person do? You were dead, it says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now that's startling for people to hear. And I think people should hear that. You were children of wrath. The Bible says that we do not start by nature, that we are not children of God. The Bible teaches that we are by nature children of wrath. I think it's hard to really understand what Jesus is saying in this passage here in Mark chapter 10, if we don't have an understanding of where we all start, we all start out, start out as children of wrath. So to become a child of God, there's only one way we can do it, and it's by receiving it. That to become a child of God, we have to completely throw all of our hope, all of our trust on Jesus. And we have to say, Jesus, I can't do anything I'm going to trust you from start to finish. I'm going to trust you to do what only you can do to save me. And that's why in John 1, it says that Jesus came into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, talking about the Jewish people, and even they rejected him. But I love this. I love verse 13. It says, but to all who believed him and accepted him. Notice it doesn't say anything about work, but, but to all who believed him 
and accepted him. And, you know, these parents bringing their little children to Jesus is, is sort of representative of that. To all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So we don't start off as children of God, but we, we become children of God. And it says, not, we're reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passions or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So we become children of God by faith. We become children of God when we come to Jesus like a child. Mm-hmm. It's all his action. It's none of ours. We have to be ready to receive that. A lot of people can't receive that because they're of their pride, because they feel like they have to add something to it, because they haven't realized how powerless they really are. And, um, and that's really the key. When I realize that I don't have anything to offer, then this becomes a gift that um, I really, I really want to receive. Yeah, let me close with just one more verse. And this is for our listeners. Maybe you, you've listened to this and, and you realize that you have not received the kingdom of God the way Jesus is explaining. Maybe some of you are listening to this saying, I've been pretentious. I've been, tr- I've been pretending to be someone that I'm not. I've been, I've been putting on a mask when I go to church or when I read the Bible or when I, you know, when, I, when I interact with my Christian friends, I'm pretending to be someone that I'm not, but I recognize now how broken I am. I recognize how powerless I am. I recognize that I have nothing to offer. I re- I've, rec- I've, been trying, I've been trying to come to God as a contributor, reaching in my pockets, at the bike store to try to add to what Jesus did for me, you know, even though it's meager, but I've been trying to do that. And now maybe you realize I'm wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, like it says in Revelation chapter three. Maybe some of you are, are cut to the heart today in recognizing that, that you have to come to God like a child. You, you have to humble yourself and come to God like a child. I want to just finish this last, this, this episode with this passage and Back to Ephesians chapter 2, a little bit later. We already read the first few verses, but a little bit later on in the chapter, verse 8, it says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Not when you worked, not when you cleaned up your act, but when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Remember, a gift is something that you can only receive. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Ross, what would you say to the person who, who now finally maybe understands what it means to come to God like a child, how should, how should, what should they do in response to all of this today? Yeah, well, the first thing is just come. Just come to Jesus. Say, well, I think there's an admission where we have to own up to the need we have, own up to our sin and say, yes, I, I blow, I've blown it in life. Yes, I don't have anything to offer, but I, I just come to you to do everything that I can't do, to be everything that I can't be, and to place my trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Say, Jesus, you paid for all of my sin, and you died on the cross, you rose again from the dead so I could have a new life, and I want to come to you, I just want to ask you to make that mine, to do that for me, and I will accept it from you. Hey, listeners, thanks for listening to this newest edition of our Mark series. Remember, if you want to talk about this with your small group, uh, we've got videos to go along with this, some discussion questions, the curriculum. You can find all of it at pursuegod.org forward slash Mark.